You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. Welcome to a brand new episode of History We Forgot. This is Morrison with Christy Phillips. That's right, folks. We're back with a Christy centric episode. Uh, she recently uh, visited a symposium uh, regarding the education of the Holocaust. So we wanted to go back and kind of give some background on our co host who isn't part of the other four fucking series on this <laughs> network. <laughs> hey, I've, I've sat in on a few. You've sat in on a few. I'm tired of carrying this goddamn network on my back. <laughs> uh, you heard me, Alex. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, going to kind of going back, we kind of did a little intro episode to kind of explain our backgrounds and history and stuff like that. Uh, we both love the subject and kind of treat it as our own. But uh, you recently went to a symposium at uh, App State, correct? Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Like, uh, what, what was the whole, what was the general consensus about? Uh, I went to the 21st annual Martin and Doris Rosen Summer Symposium, is the official whole long title. Uh, it was hosted by Amy Huddle, H-U-D-A-L-L, if I messed up her name, I'm so sorry, Amy, and Lee Holder. Uh, they are, uh, Lee Holder is a former teacher, and he has been a Holocaust educator for over 20 years. Amazing guy. Um uh, he was uh, good friends with Giselle Abr- Gisella Abramson, who helped to who is uh, the namesake for the Gisella Abramson Act that helped to just got passed in North Carolina for the uh, education of the Holocaust, which is why we now have have to teach it by law. Some of us have been teaching it anyway. Yeah. But now it has to be taught in every classroom, English and history classroom. In North Carolina from sixth grade to 12th grade um, he spent a lot of time with her and they got really close so he's one of the reasons that the act got passed um, this was actually recommended to me by uh, Juanita Ray who is a member of the North Carolina Holocaust Council along with Lee Holder I had heard of the symposium before but it is a powerhouse thing in holocaust education it is a week-long nose to the grindstone kind of thing where you're doing a lot of studying you're meeting a lot of very important people and it's one of those to be invited is an honor and to make it is a big deal and i never thought i would get to go now, what was uh, did you have to apply to uh, be invited to one of these, or they just kind of pick you out of the blue? What do they do? I got told I should impl- apply. Um, I applied, and you can. It costs money to go, but you can apply for a scholarship, and if you qualify for the scholarship, you can go for free. If you make the scholarship, you stay in the dorms at App State, and they pay. The money that it costs pays for your meals, your room and board in the dorms, and the 
materials that you get. So you get access to lots of books, lots of teaching materials. Every special guest that comes to see you gives you all of access to all of their PowerPoint materials, all of their education plans that they give. Uh, you get free books. You get all of that. Well, it's technically not free. I mean, you pay for all that. Um, you go to a big banquet to meet donors and tell them why this matters to you, why this so, is so important to you. And I got to meet some absolutely amazing educators, current educators and retired educators, and some amazing people. Yeah, so uh, a little bit of some background for people who are just now tuning in to, this, to the show. Uh, you, you went to uh, UNC Wilmington originally. Yes. And before that, uh, me and you both went to the same community college, Mitchell Community College. Yep. Or MIT. <laughs> Mitchell in town. Mitchell in town. Uh, <laughs> I, had, I was at the hospital, and I, I was listed as, I had said MIT, Mitchell in town, on my last visit. And so when they pulled up my medical record, it said, oh, you went to MIT? Oh, no. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> what do you do? I'm a dishwasher. <laughs> uh, but I thought it was funny, because that's how they wrote it, Mitchell in town. Uh, nice. But yeah, so what uh, you had told us before what kind of drew you into the whole subject. Uh when you went to UNC Wilmington, would you say there was a fair amount of classes that involved education on the Holocaust itself as a single subject, or was it just like broad spectrum in like the history courses at Wilmington? Um, this is going to sound really bad. Wilmington was my first choice college, but the only reason I didn't go to App State, because App actually has its own um branch of holocaust studies mm -hmm. on campus and the only reason i did not pick to go to app is because i'm not a fan of the mountains and i did not want to get snowed in at college and be stuck there yeah um wilmington has a wonderful jewish studies program and their jewish studies professor was a great professor I don't know if he's still there, but if he is, uh, Dr. Jared Taney. I threw his name around up at App, and a lot of people who were educators up there, as well as individuals who were at the uh, Temple of the High Country that we got to go to, knew his name, and they went on, raved about how wonderful he is, and, and he was a great professor. Um, he was very... One of those professors where if he found out you were interested in the subject, he would be more than willing to help lead you with that. So, never one of those that would tell you you were asking too many questions, which was always good for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, plus, Wilmington is the home of maximum overdrive. Yes. That's the most important thing about Wilmington. And, you know, there's a battleship and the beach. And yeah, it, it's, it's semantics. <laughs> Alright. It's yeah, the home yeah, of the yeah. stiff upper lip album by ACDC. I mean, you're, you're not wrong. Priorities. Yeah. yeah, I'm not wrong. That means I'm absolutely fucking right. <laughs> eh. But yeah, so like you said, uh, this symposium has been going around for a little over 20, 20 years, right? Yes. Um, 
Now, with that being said, what do you, did they say? What kind of spurred the whole symposium on? Why, why, twenty-one years ago they decided to start it? Did they ever give a history about why it came to be, or was it just like a fly-by-night kind of thing? And they decided to just do it. I know that they had wanted to do a lot to try to help teachers as far as teaching the Holocaust. They wanted it to be. I'm probably going to butcher the idea, but kind of like a one-stop shop for teachers to be able to come up there and get a lot of information and meet other teachers and get ideas because it wasn't just teachers. There were librarians. There were retired teachers who were up there. There were Holocaust educators. We met a lot of authors. We met a lot of, uh, we got to meet two survivors. We got to, talk with a lot of students uh we got to meet two uh, college students from app who had just graduated and meet with them it was a good mix of different people from all over north carolina and it was really nice to see all these different people who have either been doing this for a really long time or people like me who haven't been doing this for a really long time um it was a good place to see where you could go and get a lot of ideas and a lot of help. So it's, it seems like it's a uh, a networking type conference, also. Mm. Like, you know, in all all definition because it is an educational event, but kind of like a network conference as well. Mm. Now, do the uh, the resources uh, you provided? You said uh, before we spoke we. You had told me a little bit about it beforehand, before mm. we started recording. Uh, some of the resources available, can you go into some of that that they offered? Um, I got, Like I said, I got a ton of books. Yeah, they read them all. Tell us about them. Um, we met Kathy Kaser, who is an author. She spoke with us. She writes for uh, younger adults. Um, she tries to tell stories centered towards younger adults to try to make it a little more relatable for younger students. Uh, she had just, one of the books that they provided for us was a book called Shanghai Escape, which was about a Jewish family who escaped to Shanghai because the, uh, the requirements to get to Shanghai were a lot looser than they were to get to America or anywhere else. She actually signed a lot of books for all of us. She stayed with us for several days and spoke with us about uh, banning books, as a matter of fact, too. She talked about that a lot. Now, what is her background uh, regarding Holocaust education? I She has not taught. She's just a writer. Okay. Uh, she's from Canada. Oh, our neighbor to the north. Yes. Uh, super sweet lady. Awesome. America light. Yeah. I loved her. She was a really sweet lady. Um, she found out that I'm actually in the process of writing down my grandfather's story. And she was very, do it, do it. You should absolutely do it. And even was nice enough to give me some pointers. Um, but she was talking about one of the things that she likes to do is when she gets an idea to write down a story, the stories that she writes are historical fiction. She doesn't write an actual 
individual's story. She kind of fictionalizes it a little bit. Okay, so, yeah, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, but she will speak to survivors and get historians' perspective to make sure what she says is correct. But she doesn't want to write, like, one particular individual's for sure story, so she doesn't want to, like, trample on somebody's story. She has her own uh, family history with it. And she wrote, uh, I'm going to mess it up, and if I do, I apologize, but I believe it's her grandmother helped to hide her mother during the Holocaust. And she hid her in a dresser because she was small. And she told us about that, and she even showed us a picture, and she had written that story. And that was one of her books that she showed us. And talk to us about that. Another author that we spoke with was Amy McDonald, who is uh, more of a historian. She wrote a book called Word Smugglers, and it's about her job or her time as a historian gathering resistance writings from the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. A lot of uh, teenagers had written resistance writings, newspapers, pamphlets, things like that. And they had... Uh, hidden all that during the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising and when it was discovered she actually helped to gather it all together and published it in a book and we got a copy of the book and she signed it for us. Um, we spoke with Dr. Michael Birnbaum who is one of the foremost Holocaust educators and he's written several textbooks on the subject and how to teach it. He's a professor. He stood up and gave us a long lecture on Holocaust education. Amazing, amazing man. He has been to every single symposium since they've ever had it. Going um, into that, did you learn any kind of like nuances to teaching the Holocaust? I actually took two pages of notes when he got up to talk. And my, I had, it was a lot of late nights. We had actually gone to a, movie premiere the night before and it was a rather rough movie for some of us um, and I had not gotten much sleep the night before so I had forgotten my copy of his book in my room so I did not get him to sign it but I took a piece of paper and wrote down asked him to write a copy of something that he had said which was I want classrooms to be safe but I want questions to be disruptive which I thought was a really neat idea. And then he signed that piece of paper. And we talked about how you can build a bond with your kids before you have to teach them something like the Holocaust. Or, considering the movie we had seen, we talked about uh, the Armenian Genocide. And the man was amazing. I could sit and listen to him talk for days. Yeah, so, like, uh, I, you don't have to talk about the movies, but uh, you, you had told me they, they the subject matter does involve another genocide mm -hmm. that happened uh, concurrently or post-World War II. Yes. Uh, and the other one, um, I forget what you said about that one. Um, the other, we had two movie premieres that we were allowed, we were free to go see. It was part of the package. Uh, the first one was Aurora Sunrise, and it was about the Armenian Genocide. It's a Sundance film, and it was actually 
um, it's actually based out of Turkey, which is a big deal because it actually shows the truth about the Armenian genocide. Yeah, for for people that don't know, uh, the the uh, the government of Turkey, uh, as part of their EU entrance, was they they never have to acknowledge the genocide of a a large swath of Armenians that were neighboring them at one point. Yeah. Um, The movie was very well done as far as it's a mix of documentary footage about, I'm going to butcher this poor lady's last name. I'm going to try not to. Aurora Mardiganin, M-A-R-D-I-G-A-N-I-A-N. She was an actress. It was about her life. It was a mixture of documentary footage and animation. They did not pull any punches with this movie. There was a lot of violence and a lot of nudity based on the violence. And we were not in any way debriefed about it. Um, so it was, it was rough to see. But yet again, it was very well done, and it was it was necessary to bring it home. Um, the way you described it, it sounds a lot like another documentary I watched called uh, "Killing in the Name of," which is about the killers uh, that worked for Pol Pot during the Cambodia Revolution, uh, during the Khmer Rouge. Uh, those guys, a lot of those guys are still alive, mm-hmm. and they talked about all the killing and torture they did for the government. But uh, they included a lot of animation footage and interviews. Stuff all in one go, kind of, kind of, they do it to separate you from it a little bit, but still keep it relative to you. Yeah, uh, it, it's a lot of playing it safe, but uh, yeah, if you told me I was about to watch a thing about the Armenian genocide, but not tell me that and then watch it, yeah, I can imagine that's a little, a little rough. Yeah. Um, the other movie that we got to premiere was a movie called I Danced for the Angel of Death, and it's about it's about the life of Dr. Edith Eva Eager, E-I-G-E-R. She was a ballet dancer before she was, her and her village with her family were picked up during the Holocaust, and she was sent to Auschwitz. And she was in the barracks at Auschwitz, and Dr. Mengele came in. And he called through the barracks and said, anyone who has any talents should come forward. And people were being pushed forward if you could sing, if you could dance, and all this kind of thing. And somebody from her town literally pushed her out of the barrack, and she fell off the bunk onto the floor. And they, Dr. Mengele asked her, you know, what can you do? And she said, I can dance. He said, show me. And she said she was absolutely terrified. And the only thing she could do is, in her mind, she went back to an opera house where she had danced Swan Lake. And it was a time in her life when she had been really happy and she had been dancing in front of a guy that she was in love with and all this kind of thing. And she literally danced that same dance. And going back to that place in her mind was the only thing that kept her alive while she was at Auschwitz. I want to say she's briefly mentioned in uh, a book called The Science and the Swastika, which was about Joseph Mengele and other doctors at that time. I, I believe she's mentioned in that book as one of the like unique subjects that were just cherry picked mm-hmm. uh, because you know Mangala was a person who did cherry pick a lot of people out of 
like whole fucking train train arrivals and he would work double shifts just to make sure he got what he wanted yeah uh, but i believe she is mentioned in science and the swastika uh, briefly mm-hmm. but that, that i had heard that story before and i was i was try to remember where i heard it before but i believe it's that book mm-hmm. um now you said a, a lot of the authors of these books are there at the symposium mm-hmm. um were the filmmakers there at all or we did not get to see them um we did get to with aurora sunrise it was uh like a sundance screening so that was apparently they do that a lot at app at the theater that they have there but with the I Dance for the Angel of Death, we got a pre-screening. So it was going to be on, I want to say PBS, but I'm not positive. So don't don't hold me to that. I know that a lot of the people who had worked with the movie and helped produce it were there. And we got to ask questions about it and stuff. But to be honest, it was one of the last days and we were kind of just exhausted. Yeah. Um. <laughs> You recently handed me a book that you got mm-hmm. uh, for me. Yes. Um, it looks very interesting. It's called uh, Film and the Holocaust, uh, New Perspectives and Dramas, Documentaries, and Experimental Films by Aaron Kerner. Uh, I skimmed through it before we started. It looks it looks pr- pretty interesting and right up my alley when it comes to just talking about films of history and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's just something I love doing. Yeah. Just going down why Tombstone is a documentary. It is. It's a full documentary. Yeah, sure. Fuck it. It's a real documentary. It is. Um, but that's how uh, I will say I learned about the Holocaust. You know, we had teachers that from sixth grade all the way to high school talk about it all the time, but we really truly learned it through film. Mm-hmm. And it's best displayed that way, I think. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's hard to have a teacher explain that to a group of students every year with, you know, and trying to keep it within the sensitivities that people can understand and still cope with. Yeah. Because um, uh, a past uh, episode we had recorded, uh, you had discussed uh, some psycho- uh, some kids in your psychology class mm-hmm. who were trying to cope with finding out that Jim Jones was real. And, yeah. and I can imagine now it, it can be a little sensitive topic to, to teach. Um, now, I did want to bring this up to you because I know it might piss you off. Uh-oh. Uh, a lot <laughs> Let of me hold on to my chair. <laughs> A lot of states, uh, including Texas and Florida, have included special uh, bills when it comes to education policy, mm-hmm. a, a two-pronged approach to subject matter. Uh, how do you feel about the idea of when teaching the Holocaust that you have to teach the other side of the Holocaust from the perspective of, in all intents and purposes, Nazi fucks? <laughs> When I first learned about it, I was more surprised than anything that that is something they're pushing in Texas and Florida uh, on an education standpoint, that they have to teach both sides of an event. Um, but I'm pretty sure there's no, no two sides to it. Now, you can argue there is, but that you, I, the reason I bring it up is because it, it came up to it came to a head during a Holocaust lecture. Yeah. Where a teacher refused to do it and she was suspended. Mm-hmm. The only thing I could come up with is if I were made to do it, I don't think I could do it. I could probably teach both sides of it from your average Joe Blow on the street. 
because your average German people were just people. Because human beings are fallible. They're, they're human beings. Human beings on the ground are humans. They have emotions. They have, they're, we're not always right. We're not always wrong. We make mistakes. Human beings, human beings hate. It, it's what we do. There is no human being that has ever walked this planet that did not hate something. Be it another person I hate spiders with an absolute vicious passion. I don't care how cute and fuzzy people think they are. They're spiders. They're evil. I don't. I, you can't convince me that they should exist. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Charlie's tried for years to convince me that there are some that should live, and I don't. I just don't think so. I mean, it's just the way I am. But I'm not going to sit here and equate that to racism. But I could make a case that your average German citizen could get swept up in the flash and the flare of the torchlight parade and the propaganda and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And scapegoats are easy if you follow a crowd with everybody else. Yeah. It, it, that's why I wanted to bring it up because that, that I think that's something that symposium in the future might have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always just curious. I was just curious when you went out there if that would be a subject matter. But I kind of wanted to catch your opinion because you never brought it up. So I just assumed they did talk about it. One of the things that we did talk about that we were all actually really interested to hear, we had two librarians show up to talk to us about banned books. May I ask what kind of books? Uh, books on the Holocaust. Which ones were banned and why? Okay. And if ones that we had were banned what could we do and i was actually very interested to hear a quote that i've heard out of you many times come up kill them all no not that one oh. the other one if they'll burn books oh they'll burn people next yes well that's a goddamn fact <laughs> yes it's kindling that's all that is mm-hmm. uh, yeah that that's a that's something I had read in one of the Holocaust books that I had to read in school. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't remember exactly what, which one it came from, but it was, it was one of those intense ones. Turns out it's some kind, it's some philosopher said it. Oh shit! <laughs> well, look at you with smarts with your ten dollar words. I could learn. I learned so good. <laughs> I'm the best. I'm no geologist, but <laughs> but uh, no. So like. It is a very serious subject matter, and we're we're on we're at that cusp where there are damn near no survivors left. Yeah, that was uh, another thing we talked about too. You know, we we are we have lost almost every World War II veteran we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty years ago, we lost most of the World War One vets, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of plays out to like when you have these people still alive. Um, it's better to get it from them. Yes. It's always better to get it from the person who was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there was a, uh, uh, I think it was a uh, initiative called the Watermark Initiative. You ever heard about this? Mm-mm. Uh, it was a, it was a plan for libraries to open up uh, areas to where people could sit down and and tell their experiences of uh, 
fantastical events, mm-hmm. Not good or bad, you know, just fantastical. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those is uh, veterans coming in. You can sit in one-on-one and talk to that person, and they can tell you the events they lived through. Yeah. Uh, but it was called the Watermark Initiative. Uh, a lot of libraries before everyone got a little sensitive about their fucking libraries uh, had played a real big part in that. Mm-hmm. And it was it was free to sign up. Uh, you know, any t- older person could go in there, veterans, teachers. Uh, any type of activist could go in there and have been like, hey, this is what I had to do to get to where I'm at in life. This is what I experienced. Uh, it all, it actually all delved from a BBC YouTube uh, show mm-hmm. where they would have uh, veterans of foreign wars from back in the day meet veterans of the same country. Uh, so you, like, you would have a World War II British soldier veteran talk to a British soldier who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. Hmm. Uh, and it's a very visceral thing to watch because it's, for, just from a soldier's aspect, you could tell the older man looked at this younger man and said, you've seen a lot. And no one had ever said that to him before. Yeah. But he's able to spot it in the eyes. And I think that's very telling because when you see in like interviews with Holocaust survivors, it's very intense. Um, I recently saw one, actually. Um, it was a victim of the Holocaust. It was a deaf woman who was sterilized as a child. Um, and she was signing the whole time. And uh, she wasn't sent to the camp. She was a German citizen, but she was sterilized for the fact that she was just deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and she told her story through sign. And you had an interpreter there. And she talked about how one day her mom was like, hey, we're going to take you to the hospital now and get you sterilized. She was 12 years old at the time. Yeah. Uh, and she said, okay. And afterward, her mom is just like, are you okay? Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I'm perfectly fine. And she's like, do you understand? And you could tell, like, the young the young girl, when she's explaining it to him as an adult, she's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's fine. All my friends had it done. So it's normalized her and it, it's a very it's a very poignant kind of thing where what people can get used to very quickly yeah when you have it done to the group mm-hmm. and she said i would have felt bad if it didn't happen to me you know it and it's, i'm not saying like it's a sympathizer kind of way but it is something that people learn to live with yeah you know things we learn to live with end up ruining us mm-hmm. in a way if we don't notice it fast enough yeah um and I kind of see this, you know, when you talk about these symposiums and stuff, you know, you get, because you had recently met a Holocaust survivor. Mm -hmm. There were two of them at the symposium. But before that, you had met one, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, what what was very interesting is I didn't know until we got to the symposium that the one who came to the symposium to speak was actually the same one that came to our high school that I got to meet. Margot Lobry. Uh, Can you give us a little backstory on her? Sure. Um, I went to another uh, Holocaust event in uh, the mountains, the North Carolina Gathering of Holocaust Educators. And we did a thing where you had to decorate a tennis shoe and give a little story about an individual during the Holocaust. And I drew a name called Margot Lobry, and I'd never heard of her. So... I was going to do a little background research, come to find out she was actually going to speak to us that day via Zoom. 
So instead of researching her, I just sat down and listened to her speak. So I took notes. Then one of my fellow teachers at the school I'm at now actually said she was going to come to our school and speak to the students. I got to hear her talk. I introduced myself, shook her hand, told her how much I appreciate her. And then when we go to the symposium, she was actually there for this. This time, I got to hear her speak live and in person. She was there. She is 92 years old. She might be four foot tall if she's anything. And she is an absolute spitfire. Sweetest lady in the whole world. I walked up to her and shook her hand and I told her how much I appreciated her. And how I've got to see her twice in person and once via Zoom. And how her story has touched not only my life but my students lives because I've told them about her and she means a lot and she was really sweet um, going into some of the other stuff that uh, to the symposium is there was there like a consensus that that the it's kind of hard to ask but that there was any kind of falling out when it came to teaching the Holocaust in schools like has there been any type of struggle trying to keep this motivation alive to keep, to make sure it gets taught? Because, you know, it, history is one of the hardest subjects to teach because it's constantly getting longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, time keeps marching forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there any consensus at all or did anybody ask raise any awareness to the fact that some of this stuff's not getting taught at all kind of across the board? I know North Carolina passed a law, and you know, that's very important. Mm-hmm. But in other states, it's damn near not taught at all. Yeah. I think most. I think because all of us were there and we were so adamant about doing it to begin with, I think a lot of it was not only are we so adamant to teach it, but we were also trying to figure out new ways to teach it. So we were trying to come at it with we're trying to catch this new group of kids who are also dealing with just coming out of COVID from being home. And my struggle is always, the kids are always saying, well, I've already, we've already learned this and we've heard about it since sixth grade. And we already know all this stuff. And I even had a kid at one point tell me, I bet I know more about it than you do. (laughs) And me being the petty individual that I am, I stole one of the kids' favorite lines. I said, all right, bet, educate me. Of course, he lost that. He lost that bet, but you know, most of us were trying to find out. I came away from it. One of the biggest things I came away from it with is I'll never know it all, but I can always learn more things. And I'm trying to come up with new things that I don't know to try to hook the kids with things there's no way they could know. And I'm also trying to give them stories that they can relate to. Do you feel that? the how how it's taught now is better than the than you know the time that we were in school absolutely i did i i i felt like they rushed through it as fast as they possibly could when we were in school at least me for sure my my teachers either glossed over it and gave us the big points and moved on or they focused on the gorier the better and then just kept going that was always the way I felt about it. Kind of like a shock and awe type yeah. of thing. We were, we were, like I said, we were, I've said before, we, we were very fortunate because it was, it's taught every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very vague in seventh grade. 
Um, but I remember adamantly reading, you know, the, the plausible fiction and also the real stories like Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, we read that in English one. I remember uh, we strayed away from that and started reading plays by the time English three came around. But by the time English four came around, we kind of could choose our own stuff, you know, and they treated us like adults all that. But in history class, it's still very much taught, uh, especially when it came to American history and world history, because those are the two big ones uh, that you take in high school next to civics. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed like it got regulated to just English class only, which I can kind of understand because the way the way we do you know history education is there's the United States side and then there's world history and their you know collective facts. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were lucky enough to have a teacher that went over World War II very quickly, but kind of explained the basics, and then was able to do like a whole week on the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, he had some interesting objects. Um, he had he had got permission to bring in a lot of his historical stuff. One was a uh, a firearm that had been dismantled um, from the Nazis. Uh, another one was. Uh, an American uniform from that time uh, or a Japanese uniform from that time. So very, really neat stuff, mm-hmm. which, you know, those are the best kind of teachers. Yeah. Uh, because even you, you had talked about how you had dressed up for uh, the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I see stuff like that, even when there's people I don't know doing that for their kids, that, you know, that takes, that's a heartfelt response. You know, it's a little campy and fun, but it's still important. Mm-hmm. I think I think that goes a long way with the with you know the youths, <laughs> the youths. Mm-hmm. Do you think that with the with this symposium, do you think that if there are more events like this across North Carolina, it'd be more beneficial to go along with that law they passed, or do you think that just once a year with this would be enough? Uh, I think anything is going to help the i i've already i've already said i'm going again next year but the i wouldn't have a choice in the matter anyway but i'm definitely going next year um i think with the law being passed there definitely needs to be more because there's going to be a lot of teachers who the council is already coming up with lesson plans and everything to give out to the teachers and then they're going to have teachers come to planning events where it'll they'll have other teachers help to explain hey you can do it like this you can do it like that here's some other options you can do to try to help so they're not like hey here's this law have fun so that'll help out yeah um do you um is there any plans for any new conventions coming up that you know of for the Um, rest of 2023 or is it kind of does it kind of die down as the year goes on I know that there's some online events. I don't know what the council has going on because they're still working on the lesson plans. I know that a bunch of the teachers were talking about... I know one of the teachers is wanting to get a group of us that were at the symposium together to do a trip to Europe. But she also wants to take a bunch of eighth graders, and I'm like, you have fun with that, honey. <laughs> I teach high school for a reason. I can't do small kids. <laughs> Even though that's only eighth grade, that's still not as bad, but no. Um, but there were a bunch of them talking about different things they're wanting to do. Yeah. Do you think uh, 
you think you've been able to not only just get some resources, do you think you've been able to apply those into the classroom a little bit better? I think not only like the physical resources, like the books and everything that I got helped out a lot, but we all swapped information to stay in touch with each other so we can bounce ideas off of each other too. And not only did I get people that I can bounce ideas off of each other, we also, every time somebody got up and gave like a PowerPoint, we got to keep it. And the first night that we were there, we got to go to the Temple of the High Country and have uh, sit in on Shabbat service with Rabbi Alti Weinrib and the temple. And a lot of the temple members were very understanding and answering questions and helpful with us. And all of them were, if you have any questions or your students have questions, we could do Zoom calls with them and we can conference with them if they have religious questions about Judaism and they want to understand how things work. We'll be happy to help them. I, I did not, the whole time I was there, I did not meet one single solitary person that did not have the time to answer questions or the patience to do so. Well, see that, when, when you talk about stuff like that, you know, it seems like that, that there, there is a large swath of people that are dedicated to this one subject, mm-hmm. but, but also making sure it gets remembered. Because mm-hmm. um, a good cliche we learned growing up is if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. It's not exactly like that. I don't see the Italians doing anything new lately. <laughs> Because of all their old shit. Yeah. Uh, just saying. Just throwing that out here. Yeah. Um, but I do, you know, we could talk about the significance of the Holocaust as much as possible, but mm-hmm. we but all know that that is the premier event in modern history of what not to do mm-hmm. in a country. <laughs> uh, just saying. Yeah. It seems like that was the big no-no for them. Mm-hmm. But it, but it comes up kind of a full head later on when you have the uh, regime of Saddam Hussein, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, the Armenian genocide, you know, later Stalin, mm-hmm. you know, the big, the big, big events. And, yeah. Um, I do find that this is probably the most significant one, as it always has been, mm-hmm. um, because you don't learn about the Stalin starve-offs and genocides of the Eastern Bloc countries. You don't really learn about that until later on. Yeah. Took like an AP history class, maybe. Um, but it kind of gets played into the society a little bit that, okay, this is the part where they learn about the Holocaust. And it, it can be, I know it can be scary probably for parents mm-hmm. because of how vicious the subject matter is. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of pushback to in a lot of these little town hall meetings and city council offices that. Hey, I don't want my kid to learn about this right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I can kind of see where they're coming from in a weird way, but also it is a fact that happened. Yeah. Um, at the symposium, I know this is probably a far-fetched kind of question. Did anybody ever talk about addressing the naysayers and denouncers of the Holocaust? Not really. Because it is on the rise right now for some reason. We talked a lot about how to deal with anti-Semitism in a classroom. How to deal with kids questioning things. Not like out of a place of hate, just out of a place of not knowing. 
We talked about that a lot. Um, that whole thing is more of why I think we need to teach it more than anything else. Not because it was such a lightning strike of a moment for the exact same thing to happen exactly the same way again is, I'm not going to say impossible, but I will say rare. But anti-Semitism itself is still very prevalent and still very much a thing. So that is constantly what I'm concerned about as far as why I would teach it. And matter of fact, when I taught it this last semester, and I ended my lesson with it. I talked about how anti-Semitism is, is back on the rise again. Hate crimes are back on the rise again. And how uh, programs are being created now to stop it and to bring attention to it. And how, because my kids always say things like, well, I'm, what can I do? What can I do? I'm nobody. What can I do? Social media followings are a thing. Hashtags are a thing. You guys are always on social media. You're always on your hashtags. Here's your thing. And I have a, a hashtag in my room that I put on the whiteboard for them to look at. And that was how I ended it when I taught the Holocaust this semester. And the kids said that was very prevalent for them and really brought it all back around. And that was another thing that we talked about, which seemed to really help them out a lot. Yeah, so with that, do you think there's still a lot of interest in in the kids about learning about it still by the time they reach high school? Because I know that's a hard subject to teach in high school. In you know, middle school, it's a little macabre and you know can be a little detrimental depending on how much of you're going to show it. Because um, when I was in English one, we watched uh, Belson the movie. Mm-hmm. I had Rucker Howe, and it's had about Russian POWs and them fighting to escape. And there's a very just brutal scene of like a kid running, and then someone schnaddle, and then fucking two dogs go right after. You don't see what happens; it leaves up, it leaves it up to the mind's eye. What happens next? Then, yeah, it's just it can be a little wild. Yeah. Because I know you guys are kind of limited on what you could show when it comes to like media too. Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of fucked up. I, I kind of feel bad for teachers now who can't have a drunk day when they can't just <laughs> wheel the TV in on the cart and like, hey, fuckers, we're watching Bill Nye. Uh, or the Magic School Bus or whatever the fuck is on TV when I don't feel like fucking teaching. <laughs> Especially the science and math teachers. They always have something. Yeah. They're lucky when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Um, you can't just turn to the fucking TV on. We're going to watch Marta Marvels. Yes. Um my whole thing is I was lucky to use some media this year with the kids. I used a couple clips from Band of Brothers. I used a very short documentary that was recommended to me by another teacher called A Night at the Garden. Used that. That worked out really well. Another thing that I did that was a big powerful thing that brought it back around for them as to I got the argument of why do we learn this? Why do we care? There's a poem I actually found out when we went to the symposium, it's not a poem, it's actually a quote from a speech, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. And I, I know you've heard it a million times. It's the thing where I didn't, uh, first they came for the socialists and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a socialist. And they came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. And it goes on through the list. And then it says, then they came, they came for the Jews. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. 
I turned that on its head and I said, take out from that first stanza, take out the word socialist. I said, and change it out with whatever you want to. First, yeah. they came for the women and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a woman. Yeah. First, they came for the LGBTQ plus and I didn't speak up because I wasn't one of them. First, they came for the Latinas and I didn't speak up because I wasn't one. Playing on that, there was a, uh, during the 40s, there was propaganda films from the military, mm-hmm. and one was a guy stand up, you know, just a big boisterous kind of guy standing on a soapbox on a corner, black and white film, just yelling, talking about we need to get these people out of here, we need to get these people out of here, and an older gentleman walks up and stands next to a younger man, and the older gentleman's like, "Do you believe this kind of this, you know, this smuck?" And he's like, "Well, he's got a lot of good things to say," and then. At one point, the guy says, we need to get rid of all the Masons and get rid of all the Catholics. And the guy's like, wait, hold on. I'm a Mason. He's like, yeah, don't feel so good, does it? Hmm. When he's talking to the old man. Mm-hmm. And the old man's like, you know, the country I come from, and they leave it vague enough for it to like, okay, this guy's got a German accent. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, this is made in like the 40s before the war's even over. Yeah. So it, it it's very poignant on that. And I think those are... Kind of, the, I think that's the biggest takeaway, mm-hmm. is that if you don't stand with the others, they pick you off one at one. Yeah. Um, or they have you join them, and mm-hmm. then they'll pick you off. Yeah. Um, recently, um, I had read some materials talking about uh, the Eisen Agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who know, those were the uh, the people who killed a lot of Jews by gun. Yep. Holocaust uh, by bullets is what we called it. Yeah, it was a very destructive force but it was also one of those ones where people were losing their minds while doing it yes uh but documents that came out that stated that the nazis had plans for them too Mm -hmm. as we can't have evidence so we need to get rid of these guys once we win the war Mm -hmm. that we can't have them talking about all this nasty shit they did and yeah uh it was always what's next you know who's next on the chopping block and that's Mm -hmm. what it comes down to when you have a regime like that, so yeah, I can kind of, I can really understand. That'd be something I would want to teach the kids, as as the pillar of you know teaching the Holocaust, is you know, you could always be next. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know, we have a lot of people in our government today that aren't doing much action when it comes to certain people being allowed to say fucked up shit mm-hmm. about other groups of people, without without repercussion. Mm-hmm. You know. And I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, free, free speech as far as the eye could see, but it's not free from consequence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying state sponsor consequence. I'm saying consequence though. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of to leave off on this. Um, what do you say was your favorite moment the whole time you were out there? Hmm. Honestly, the thing that hit me the most was the Shabbat service that we had at the Temple of the High Country. That would be a personal thing because I have not been religious in a while. <laughs> as as you know, we have discussed that off what? off off microphone. <laughs> We've been going church together since fucking 89. <laughs> what are you talking about? There's no way. <laughs> I'd be a preacher by now. I was going to say. I could have been. Put a dollar in the box. Uh. So, a quick little thing. What is Shabbat service? What is it? 
Um, Although, if you have a definition for it. Uh, it I could be very wrong, and I, if I am, I am sorry. The idea is that people are on and doing something 24-7. And in Jewish culture, the idea is that you have a day off to where you just... Day, like a relaxation. Yeah, like a, a day of rest and a day of worship, fellowship, spend time with your community and your house of religion. Now, is that like a holiday or is that, what is that? Or is it just like something they just do? It's just something they just do as far okay. as I So know. it's not like a hot holiday or anything no. like, like Yom it's Kippur? it's a Friday. Okay. It's a Friday. <laughs> so it's not like a Yom Kippur or anything no, like that? No, it's just a Friday. It's every Friday. Yeah. Well, that, sound, that sounds nice. Kind of like a fiesta or siesta. <laughs> it was kind of like a fiesta. Yeah. So um, we went to that. They had service. They had brisket. Good music. Everybody was nice to us. Yeah. That was a really good time. As far as the symposium for what the symposium was there for, I would say um, the thing that really got me the most was we heard from, and I'm going to, another name in a butcher, Cheryl Ossian, O-C-H-A-Y-O-N. She is the historian at Yad Vashem, which is the uh, Holocaust Memorial in Israel. And they have the um, uh, Righteous Among the Nations. So for the people who helped out during the Holocaust, you get trees planted and plaques for the righteous among the nations. She had a wonderful speech and talked for a long time about great stuff. She really hit home about education and about helping out not only students, but your community and how to get them to come together and all that. That helped out a lot. Okay. yeah, that's that. You know, goes back to what I was talking about, like networking and trying to make sure you know everybody can get their questions answered. Trying to you know tackle a difficult subject the best mm-hmm. way they can. Because I know every teacher's got a little different style, a little bit of different flair. Mm-hmm. But you know, have being able to you know reach out to them and or reach out to the people that have the source material to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, like the authors and stuff you said. Um, it seems like that's very important to have mm-hmm. all the time, and you, and you don't hear a lot about that. Because it also goes into the background of, you know, stuff you don't hear about teachers. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, that teacher work day, that motherfucker's still working. Yeah. On the weekends, they're going to conventions. They're going to conferences. You know, they're – or uh, a mutual, uh, you know, a friend of ours, you know, has a camp or some shit they're doing over the yeah. summer. Or some type of big event for students, you know. Or dorks like me are going to the Goodwill going, oh, this book will go really good in my classroom. Ooh, this – this poster will look really good. This map will help out a lot in my classroom and paying for it out of our pocket. I'm telling you, file your taxes a certain way <laughs> and get your goddamn rebate. Just saying. Take it from somebody who's decided to stop paying taxes. Say it louder for the microphone. <laughs> they don't listen to this. They're too busy killing people who say we should be friends. Why can't we be friends? You know exactly why we can't be friends. <laughs> well, folks, I think uh, it was... I think that was a great little uh, kind of rundown on, you know, something not only about, you know, a, a kind of a happy, you know, not a happy, but a, a happy thing that you're into mm-hmm. uh, that kind of 
you know gives meaning to the to your kind of brand of work or to your, to your career you know mm-hmm. that's that's something you've always been passionate about mm-hmm. uh i th- and you know it did get brought up during the discord in our last live episode uh we had did have some people in discord that were kind of curious and i hope this you know i hope you guys enjoyed this episode uh, again thank you for telling us all about you know this this important thing of yours thank you um and we'll always you know incorporate this and anything in the future uh, maybe have our own little live episode okay where we drink scotch and watch tombstone <laughs> Um, I did want to say, if I've mentioned any books or any authors or anything that anybody's interested in and you want, like, pictures or anything, I will say uh, find me in the Discord or uh, respond to our podcast in the Discord, and I will provide pictures of the books. If you are interested in them or you want to know something about them, I will be happy to help out. And what, are your, what is your name as on Discord? Just me, CLP. <laughs> Just me, CLP. Do not reach out to me. <laughs> I am busy. I have Find a, him. Harass him. I have opinions that should not be public. <laughs> God damn it. Find him. Harass him. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the show. We really appreciate all our listeners. Check out all the other new stuff coming to the Something Good Network. Uh, we're happy to hear from anybody in the Discord. It's in the description. Join us. Share it on Instagram or whatever social you got, because I sure as hell don't have it. Um, go to if, – if you're interested in the Temple of the High Country, they have a website. They're doing wonderful things. Uh, they have a lot of uh, charity work that they do. They do videos of their services, and the video of the Shabbat service where we were there is actually on YouTube. Follow them. They are wonderful people. Uh, Rabbi Alti Weinrib is a wonderful person. Sounds good. Again, guys, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next go-around. Thank you so much. Later. You've been listening to the Something Good Network. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Instagram, and check out the other great shows on the network. Link is in the episode description.